Uh, last week, I showed you a picture of a bush, a uh, small tree. We got that again, and we can put it up. Yeah, there, there's a, that's our front yard here in Baltimore, and that's a, a tree. It's called a golden rain tree. And when Loretta got that tree, it was uh, in a styrofoam cup. It was a giveaway at a Salvation Army store, and it was just a little stem sticking up. And so she nurtured it and watered it, took care of it, put it in a bigger pot. After a while, she prayed over it, talked to it, all those kinds of crazy things, you know. And, uh, and then I threatened it because it wouldn't grow. And so when it got to be about 12 inches tall in the pot, she says, I want to plant this in the front yard. I said, I don't think so. And she said, yeah, I want it to grow right out in the middle of the front yard. It'll become, one of these days, it'll be a beautiful tree. So I put it out in the middle, and we had to dig it a place, and I had to put those stones around there and, and everything. And so it was quite a bit of work. So after all that work and putting that thing in the ground and the right kind of soil, I threatened the tree. I said, all right, you're 12 inches tall now, but if you're not at least three feet tall by the end of summer, I'm cutting you down. The lawnmower will just go right over you. And, uh, and I found out it, it works to threaten your plants. You might try that with your kids. I remember when Mary was little and Mary would not eat her peas. She wouldn't eat her green vegetables as a little girl. You can tell her this. It's, we're telling, sharing a secret today, right? And uh, we'd, we'd make her stay at the table. Everybody else would be finished. Get up. You stay right there until those things are gone. And she'd move them around the plate in different places. And she thought it would look better if she kind of moved the food around. You've seen kids do that. So I threatened this thing, and I said, if you don't make it, well, it went to four feet by the end of last summer. This year, it's over eight feet. It grows out these beautiful yellow flowers, and uh, it has these little lantern things that are the seed pods, and uh, uh, it's a beautiful tree. But growing is a process. And I tell you all that because what I want to talk about again today is uh, how to grow in the Lord. We need to grow. If you'll remember from 1 Corinthians that uh, Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, and he said, look, he said, he said, some of you are not growing. You're at a time when you need to be adults. You're still like babies. That's kind of a thing we say these days, isn't it? Let's, let's all be adult. Where are the adults in the crowd and know how to act, right? And so the apostle Paul said, look, there's, there's some confusion going on in your church. There's some divisions going on in your church. There's different groups, different cliques, and they've all got preacher's religion, and one follows one, one follows another, another group follows another preacher. And he said, you just need to grow. And you need to grow in the Lord properly. And at a time when, uh, when, when you should be adults and you should be taking responsibility in the body of Christ, you're still acting like babies. So uh, it was uh, 20 years ago this summer when Loretta and I first arrived in Rome, Italy, to be the pastors of a wonderful international church, and a uh, great place it was. And one of the first persons we met when we arrived in Rome at this church was a German lady named Karin, Karin Meyer, and Karen is with the Lord today, and Karen was about 20 years older than me. I, at the time, I think she was about 70, and... Um, and Karen was a prima donna a ballerina. She performed all over Europe. She had an amazing story about how she grew up in Hamburg, Germany. And at the age of 12, when they were seeking out the Jews, she grew up in the home of her stepfather, who was an SS officer for the German army. And she hid a brother and sister in the attic of their big home in Hamburg, who were Jewish, these two kids. Growing up in the house of an SS officer in the attic, she had two Jewish friends. And she had an amazing story of how she came to Jesus. She had a dance studio in Rome. That dance studio, after she got saved, she started having Bible studies. That Bible study group turned into a local church, an Italian local church, and uh, quite an amazing lady. And still was in very good health when she was uh, 70 years old, could still dance and and everything. Quite, uh, quite a lady. Well, Karen was full of the Holy Spirit, but she was very northern German. So she had 
a formula for counseling people who were depressed or discouraged or if somebody said, I, I, I'm just depressed and I, I don't know, Sister Karen, I don't feel good. She had uh, two points to her, her formula of counseling. The first one was, don't be a baby. Grow up and get over it. And the second one was when people would say, I don't know, Sister Karen, I, I'm just depressed and the devil's after me or whatever. And she'd say, get over it. Get over it. Just get over it. Now, that was, her, that was the, the, the bit of her counseling that she would give to people. Don't be a baby. Grow up. And the other one was, get over it. Get over it. So the Apostle Paul is trying to tell these young believers, hey, look, don't be babies anymore. Remember last week we talked about the image of a 15-year-old, you know, still needing mother's milk and, and not growing up to take the the strong food of being able to enjoy the steak. Now, you take uh, me and, uh, and John, Big John, John Ross, you, you know, either one of us, uh, you're not going to see us sitting around together eating uh, uh, potatoes or squash or whatever out of a baby food jar. We're, that's not going to satisfy us. We're going to go to the steakhouse and get a 16-ounce sirloin or whatever, you know, because uh, th- that's the food that adults eat, right? So today we're going to talk about how to grow, how to grow in our faith. It's not a matter that we need to grow. It's how to grow. If you really want to grow in the Lord, I want you to put your hand over your heart and just kind of look up to heaven and say, Lord, I want to grow. Can you do that? Just do that. Lord, I, I want to grow. Remember we talked about last week about the old missionary who was in his uh, mid-70s, and his, his whole motto was grow until you go. As a matter of fact, you, you live your whole life. You never, you never reach that point where you say, well, I've, I've learned everything there is to learn about serving Jesus, and I've been through a whole lot of stuff. I don't need to grow anymore. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm in my 70s, and I'm still growing. I'm still learning. There, there's, I haven't arrived yet, and I'm, I'm like the Apostle Paul who said at the very end of his life, and uh, I think he was about 67 when he finally was put to death, but at the very end of his life, he wrote in Philippians, he said, look, he said, I, I, I've not reached yet the, uh, the goal which I've been striving for. I'm, I'm still moving forward. I'm still in the process of growing. God's sanctifying process. And, and we don't... We, we don't reach that uh, just automatically when we get saved and we come to Jesus and we turn our lives over to him, there's a process of growing. There's a process of changing, of, of, of being sanctified, set apart from the world to God. And so we go through this growing process where we are learning more, we're growing more. Some of us, we come into the kingdom of God, we've never seen a Bible before. Maybe we come from a family where they never talked about God or, or religion or, or anything about, about Jesus. And so we don't even know the Bible. I mean, I've sat in Bible studies with, with new believers, and somebody says, turn to the book of, of Ephesians, and they're looking in the Old Testament because they don't know. They, they just got a lot to learn. So there's this process of learning and growing, and I can't tell you how important that is. And like we've been praying for, for Brad and Mary when they come back, and, and we want to help with them. We want to stand with them. We want to be team members. We want to take our responsibility in the body of Christ. We want to stand together uh, in this ministry in Baltimore. But in order to do that, we, we've got to be adults. We've got to grow up in the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do we grow? How do we do this? Okay, Pastor Mike, tell me how we're going to go about it. So I'm going to give you about four things today. So if you want to write them down, you want to make a note of them or put them in your phone, if you got your phone there and you're, you're, uh, you're turning to your phone. The first one is in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, Paul said, you don't have to turn to it, but I'm going to read it to you. Paul said to the church at Corinth, that same group of people again, in his second letter, in his second letter to them, the same one he called him babies in Christ, he said, you need to be growing. You need to be growing up in the Lord. He said, our hope is that your faith continues to grow. 
So I want to talk about growing faith. Now, I believe the Bible says that every one of us has a measure of faith, that every one of us is born into this world with an ability to believe in God, every one of us. So nobody can say, hey, I don't have faith, preacher. And I've had people tell me that. I don't have faith. And I look at them and I say, no, you're wrong because you do have faith because you're a creation of God made in his image. And when he created you, he put a spirit within you that can't be satisfied by anything but his presence. And in so doing, he put a measure of faith. Now, whether or not you act upon that will determine the outcome. But all of us have faith. We have been given a faith. Maybe it's dormant. Maybe it's just laying there and you've never really acted upon it because faith must be acted upon. But all of us have faith, and we can all have faith, and we can all have growing faith. Jesus talked about faith where you can move mountains. We were singing about that today because we all get mountains in our lives. We all get these obstacles. We always we get these challenges that are greater than we are. And it takes a growing faith to remove those challenges. And, and I came to the altar today because there's a challenge in my life of, of someone that I know is very close to me, very dear to me, that, that struggles. And, and it's just been a mountain for a long time and a challenge. But I'm continuing to pray and have faith for that person believing. And, and, and the Lord gave me that assurance this morning. And I thank God for that. Wow. God, God's real. His presence is, is a reality. His faith. So Paul said to the Corinthian church, as they're in this process, I want you to grow. Now, you got to crawl before you can walk. And you got to walk before you can run. So don't get discouraged with the process. You know, you, you may look at somebody and say, wow, man, I, that guy's got faith. I want faith like that. Yeah, he's been walking with the Lord for 40 years. And he's learned how to exercise that faith. You're going to get there. You're going to make it. Don't get discouraged, you know. And uh, these little babies, they, they get up on their knees and they start crawling. And the next thing you know, they start standing up and moving about. And then, then the holy terror comes when they finally start walking and have the freedom to walk wherever they want to. And you've got to move everything that's, you know, Two feet off the floor, you got to move it away because here they go. And then after they learn how to walk, they learn how to run. So it's a process of growing faith. The more you act on your faith, the more that your faith is going to grow. What good is a ship that never sails? It's just parked at the dock all the time. Never goes out into the open water. What good is it? What good is an athlete who trains and never runs a race? Trains and develops, just training and training, exercising, developing, practicing, but never competing. So what good is it? So faith has to be acted upon. So turn to Romans chapter 10. This is, a, this is a great one on uh, acting on our faith. Romans chapter 10. So if you've got a Bible there or your electronic instrument, Romans chapter 10, we start it at verse 8 because Paul talks about acting upon our faith. Romans chapter 10. Uh, I love this as one because this is one we always use in the Roman road to salvation. If you've never learned that one, you, you take all these scriptures out of Romans and you take somebody through the whole process of of becoming a Christian, of confessing their sins to the Lord. Listen to what he says, Romans, 8, uh, Romans 10, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your heart. Um, no, what is it? Uh, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. It is the word of faith that we are proclaiming that if you confess, what is confessing? It's action. It's taking action on your faith that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and you are saved. So here's what he says. He says, the word is near you. 
The Word of God is with you. It's, it's in your heart. It's in your mouth. So it needs to be confessed. It needs to be acted upon. So our faith can only grow as we learn to act upon it. And as we act upon our faith and putting our lives in God's hands and trusting the Lord, then we move forward in, in our growth process. Then we look back and say, wow, I trusted him there, and he was good, so I can trust him some more. And faith begins to grow. Wow, we got through that one by faith in God. I, I can believe God for bigger things. I can trust God for greater things. I can, I can believe that God will do more than just give me red popsicles and blessings and little showers of blessing coming down. I can believe that God's going to heal me. I can believe that God's going to get me through with victory every time the enemy comes against me. And so as, as our faith in our heart is acted upon, it begins to grow. James said, look, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. He said, he said if you have faith, it's not enough. You've got to put that faith into action. And as you act on that faith, you start to grow in the Lord, in that faith. And later on in, in Romans 10, he says something else about where does faith come from, all right? Because a, a lot of people are, are you know, well, how, how do I get faith? Do, do, do I buy it from an online preacher or from a catalog or can, can I get it through Amazon? Where do I get faith? Where does faith come from? Do I get it at the church? Is it something I need to unlock? No, it's just something you have. You need to act upon it. But how do, I, how do I increase that faith? How do I feed that faith as I grow? Looking down in chapter 10 uh, at verse 17, he said, consequently, he said, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So that's going to be my second point about growing, growing in the word of God. Where does faith come from? How do I get faith? And how do I get that faith to increase? Besides acting upon it, I get it from the Word of God. From the Bible, we read these powerful stories like David and Goliath, like Gideon, like Samson destroying the Philistines, or Daniel in the lion's den. These are, these are faith-building stories. Or we read about uh, the apostles of the New Testament and how the Holy Spirit came upon ordinary men, and they grew in, in power and strength in the Lord and how God used them mightily. And we look at that and we say, wow, if God did that for them, he could do that for me. Amen? We, we sang this song today. Uh, I believe you'll do it again. When you look at the power of the Holy Spirit in the early church, we just say, Lord, we believe you can do it in our day. So when we get into the Word of God and start growing in God's Word, then our faith is built in our heart. Sometimes I'm, I'm reading through things in the Scripture, and maybe I, I need something specially from the Lord for a, a particular moment in my life or a need that day, something that I know we're going to face. Lord God, just give me something in your word that feeds my heart. And without fail, without fail, God has never failed. And, and, and all of a sudden, my eyes will latch on to a verse of Scripture. And it's like the words just leap off of the page and into my heart. And, and suddenly, I feel strength. I feel faith. I feel that I'm getting stronger for this, this challenge that I must face for the day. Any of you ever had that happen before? Ever had that happen? Now, I'm not one of these guys that, you know, that every day when I, when I read the Bible, I'm like, okay, God, show me what I need to be doing today. You know, you know how that story was, you know. Uh, the guy said, Lord, show me the Scripture uh, today, Lord, I need a word from you for, you know, what I need to know for the day. And so uh, just randomly opened the Bible, and the first thing his finger fell on was a verse that said, said uh, Judas went out and hung himself. And he closes the Bible up and he says, oh, boy, maybe there's another one. Lord, please help me. So he opened the Bible and his finger comes down. The other one comes down on a verse that says, go thou and do likewise. So I'm not advocating that kind because there is a systematic study of the word that's important to us. 
Pastor Loretta and I, we've read through the Word of God, uh, you know, Genesis to Revelation, I don't know how many times through the years as husband and wife. Back in uh, Illinois, we had this beautiful couple that from Missouri. They were from the hills of Missouri, and they loved the Lord, been married for 60-some years. They were in their early 90s, and we'd go visit them in their home, and every day they read the Word of God together, and we asked them, how many times have you read through the Bible together? And I think it was like, at that particular moment, it was like 47 times that they've read through the Word of God together. And you know what? It doesn't get boring. It doesn't get boring because no matter how much I've read of the Scripture and how many times we've read through the Bible, every time something will just kind of just jump out at you. All of a sudden, it's like, wow, I know I've read this before, but I've never really latched on to it like I'm getting a hold of it today, like it's getting a hold of me. And so when that Word is here in our hearts, it builds faith. That's what Paul was saying. He said, hearing comes, faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. So learning how to grow in God's Word, and there are different ways to, 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 to study God's Word. There are systematic ways. You, you may want to do a Genesis to Revelation, or you may want to start the New Testament with the Gospels, and, but you go systematically through. You're learning the Word of God, and you're going to read things maybe that you have not seen before. And, and so that's a systematic way. Everybody needs to get into some kind of a systematic study program. But then also, there's that devotional aspect of it. And, and it really does work sometimes that, you know, Lord, I just need something today. And, uh, and, you know, maybe I'll go to the Gospel of John. Maybe I'll go to Psalm. I go to Psalms a lot. Anybody go to Psalms? I go to Psalms a lot. You know why? Because Psalms are personal. They're very powerful. When I was 16 years old, my grandmother, first one of my grandparents, uh, was, was passing away. And it was my grandmother who had uh, uh, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in 1929 in a little storefront Pentecostal church in southern Missouri. And she had such a, a faith in God and prayer. She sent several of her me- members of her family off in World War II and prayed and sought the Lord. And, and every one of them came home uh, well. Thank God for that. And I remember the, the night, it was on a, I think it was on a Sunday night or a Monday night. My grandfather called us. My mother and I went over. Uh, we didn't have EMS squads in those days. The, the only ambulance was from the local uh, uh, funeral home, and, and the only thing it was uh, supplied with was oxygen. That was about all they had. And uh, I, don't, I don't think we even knew CPR in those days. This was back in 1965. And, uh, and we arrived there at the home. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, 16 years old, uh, something like 16, uh, 15, 16. And I'd never, I'd never seen anybody die before. I, I never even knew anybody close to death before uh, and being in their presence. And, and my grandmother had just lost her eyesight. She'd gone blind. And, uh, and she was passing. It, uh, it was a stroke or something, and her heart was really bad. My grandfather had called the ambulance, uh, and it, it took a while for them to get there. And my grandmother, she was laying there in the bed in the bedroom. She said, Mike, get my Bible. I want you to read. So here's my grandmother. She knows that, you know, her time is short. And she said, go to the Psalms. The Psalms are my favorites. And before that ambulance came, I was able to read my grandmother about about four psalms, and we just rejoiced in the Lord. And I'm scared to death. I'm nervous. I'm like, this is my grandmother. I love her so much. What's happening? But the Word of God was so important in her life, and the psalms were, such, were so powerful in her life that at that moment, she knew that her, her life was leaving her, but she wanted the Word of God. Somebody told me something a long time ago, and I believe it. It says, I can't always trust my feelings, but I can always trust the Word of God. The Word of God will never fail. The Word of God will not fail us in this generation or any other generation. The Word of God will not fail, and the Word of God will help you grow. Get the Word of God into here. Here's how I say it. Read, read, and reread. Get it into your mind, transfer it to your heart by prayer, and live it from there. And we can do that. 
we can do that, and the Word of God will help us to grow. Hallelujah. How many of you want to grow? Come on. Come on. Get in the Word. Get in the Word. Get in the Word. I mean, you know, we, we'll try to help you grow. We'll do everything we can. We'll encourage you. We'll pray for you. But, you know, it comes a time when you need to come to the table and sit at the table and consume the Word of God. I love the stories about the prophets, some of those wild, off kind of experiences that they have in the heavenly places, and, and God tells the prophet, eat the scroll. You remember that one? Have you, have you seen that one before? Eat the scroll. Take the scroll and eat it. The words that are written down that I've given to you, to the words of prophecy. In other words, what God is saying is consume the Word of God. Get it within you. It's going to bring power. It, it, it's going to, to be powerful in your life, and you're going to need that. So get the Word of God in, eat it, and consume it, and let it become a part of you. Let there be a hunger for the Word of God that develops in your life. And, and pray that. If you're, if you're not hungry for the Word of God right now, then pray for that. Uh, let's look at Hebrews real quick. I'm, I'm going to show you. Uh, we, we looked at this one last week, Hebrews 5. So if you're going in your electronic Bible there, push it over to Hebrews and the next thing would be chapter 5. And, uh, and we read a little bit of this last week, but I, I want you to, to look at it again. Chapter 5, verse 11, he says, We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk is still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. I want to say this about the Word of God, and there's a, there's a scripture in Romans 1 that talks about uh, a generation of people who suppress the truth. That's what's happening in our, our generation today. People are suppressing the truth. And, and one thing about it is if you know the Word of God, you're going to know what the truth is when all you're hearing is lies and lies and lies. We're hearing lots of lies today in our world from politicians and world leaders and media and all, all the other influences that are coming against us. But one thing about it, as we grow in the Word of God, we know what the truth really is. Amen? And we'll be able to stand. We'll be able to stand. All right. So growing in the Word of God. In Colossians, Paul said to the church at Colossae, he said, he said, I want you to grow in the knowledge of God. Grow in the knowledge. What do we know about God? What do we know about God? We find it, we find it right here. What do we know about his nature? We find it here in the Word of God. What do we know about his plans for our, our world? It's right here. Well, what do we know about his plans for us? It's right here in the Word of God. You know, there, there's all this talk today about nature and how we're going to control nature by, you know, doing different things that we can do to preserve our environment. We're going to be able to control, control the weather and the nature around our earth. You really believe that? Because the Bible teaches us that God controls nature. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches us in a lot of different places, especially in the Old Testament and in the New as well, that God uses nature to bring judgment upon sin and upon mankind. So how do we know all that? So when we study the Word of God, we know what the truth really is, and uh, we're, we're not going to believe a lie. Hallelujah. You ready to grow in the Word? Yeah, let's grow in the Word. Grow in the Word. Um, I remember this story. Back in Eastern Europe under communism, there was a place in southern Poland where a missionary had been able to go and, uh, and got into um, this village, and uh, nobody had ever been born again. Nobody had ever really knew and understood the gospel. And so uh, and there, were, there was no Bible. They were not allowed to have Bibles. And so this missionary got in, met with a handful of people who became born again, 
and he had one Bible with him in, in that language, and he, he left that Bible because there was no Bible anywhere in the village. So he, he left this Bible with them and gave them instructions <laughs> to grow in the Lord. Now, they became so hungry without a pastor, without a teacher, without any spiritual leader there encouraging them, these new believers started eating the scroll. They started getting into the Word of God and growing. But they had the problem, and the problem was that they only had one Bible, and there were all of these folks who needed to come to Jesus and who needed to grow in the Lord. So you know what they did? They started tearing portions out of the Bible. And so they said, here, you you study the Gospel of John, let us know what we need to know. And here, you, you study Deuteronomy, and let us know what God says in, in Deuteronomy. You can let us know. And a year later, the guy came back and found out when he met with the group that the group had grown quite a bit. And when he got everybody together in this little village, he noticed that, that the, he said, what about that Bible that I gave you? And, and it had all been torn apart. But what happened was every one of those people that took a portion of the Bible, they memorized it because after a while, they'd want to turn it and give it to somebody else. And then they'd want to pass it along to somebody else. So he, so, uh, so the, the fellow who'd kind of become the leader of the group, he said, so does, does everybody here know the Bible? He said, oh, yeah. He said, some of us uh, have memorized it. He said, well, do you think anybody could uh, memorize the, the, the third chapter of John? He said, oh, that's not a problem. He said, this fellow over here, he, he's got the whole gospel of John. He's what? Yeah, the whole gospel of John. They found out somebody else had memorized the entire book of Psalms. So here in this village of, of people who before did not know the Lord, did not know the Word of God, had one Bible and began to grow in the Lord with a hunger for his word. And the word began to spread, and more people gave their hearts to Christ, had memorized the word of God until the point where somebody had memorized the word from Genesis to Revelation in that spiritual community. Isn't that amazing? What well, kind of puts me to shame? Some of my memory work. The third way, we talked about this a little bit last week in James chapter 1. So if you want to turn there, those of us who've been studying the Bible for a long time, we're kind of familiar with this one, where James says, count it all joy when you fall into different kinds of trials. Now, who does that? How are you doing today, brother? Whoa, I'm rejoicing. I had a trial this week, really. My car quit working, the refrigerator quit working, the kid spent two days in the hospital. Well, what are you happy about? Because James said, count it all joy when you fall into trouble and trials. Well, I don't know that James is talking about a happy ha-ha kind of an attitude, but rather an inner contentment. And James said, so when trials come, understand that they're Therefore, a reason. There, there's a point to those things. It's not just wasted stuff. When your difficulty comes your way and you get through it, it it's, it's not wasted. It, it's a matter of God testing you. It's a matter of God challenging you to grow. Because if you remember what he said in James chapter 1, and here I'll just, I'll just read a couple of those verses. He said, consider it pure joy because you know, verse 3, that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lacking, uh, not lacking anything. So if you look at it, a trial helps to bring about perseverance perseverance helps to develop your character. And when it's all finished, it brings you to what? Maturity, growing up. In other words, Paul says that the purpose of your trial and of your test of your faith is to bring you to maturity. It's to help you grow up. So 
The third way I want to talk about in growing uh, in the Lord is experience. Experience. Now, let's talk about children. One of the first things that, you know, a child learns is about when things are hot. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Mommy said, don't touch it. Daddy said, don't touch it. Woo, it's hot. Come on, how many of you had to learn that lesson the hard way, right? Oh, right? You did it, didn't you? Oh, we we had this floor furnace when I was a kid, about five years old. Uh, and we had this floor furnace. Any of you ever had, had those things, you know? It was a gas floor furnace. Now, my mother said, don't ever walk across that thing in the wintertime with your bare feet. It's too hot. Guess what? I, I had to try it for myself. <laughs> and it was too hot. And I ended up, you know, branding the bottom of my foot because it was hot. But experience taught me, don't do that again. So I tiptoed around it every time I went through the hallway. Remember when David told Saul, he said, I'll go fight that Philistine. And Saul said, well, you're going to need some armor, man. You're dressed like a shepherd boy. You don't even have a sword. Here, let me give you a sword. I mean, you, you take my armor. Where the armor of the king? Well, Saul was, you remember, the Bible said head and shoulders above anyone else. He was so tall. And he put that armor on David, and, 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 and he couldn't do it. He couldn't hardly move. So here's David, you know, this teenage shepherd boy, never worn armor in his life, clink, 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 you know, and he's got this sword. How in the world is he going to raise that up to fight this nine, ten-foot giant, you know, out there who's screaming at everybody. He's already killed several in the army of, of Israel. And so finally he said, listen, king, I, I, I can't do it your way. I've got to do it my way. And he said, well, what are you going to do? How are you going to face this guy? You remember what David did? He said, you know, once I was out tending my father's sheep, and a lion came. Wasn't it a lion? lion came to, to, to tear the sheep apart. But he said, I got a hold of the lion, and God gave me the strength to kill that lion with my own hands. And he said, and there was another time when there was a bear who came, and it was my job to protect the sheep. And when the bear came to devour the sheep, I attacked the bear, and God gave me the strength, the power of my own hands to kill that bear. And then he said, and he said, and I believe that the God who delivered me from the, what was it, the paw of the lion, the mouth of the bear, is it the other way, the the mouth of the lion, the paw of the bear, will also deliver me from the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine. Now, what was David doing? By experience, he was encouraging himself. Amen. He was encouraging himself. Right in front of Saul, he said, I, this, this time when I needed God, he was there. At another time when I needed God, he was there. And I believe the God who was there and the God who was there and the God who delivered me once and who delivered me twice will deliver me again. So as we go through this process of growth in the Lord. We're being tested. We're learning the Word of God. We're learning how important it is to mature in the Lord. And as we see one victory, it just catapults us to the next victory. And then it sends us on to the next victory. And I know in between those victories, there are hard times. There are difficult times. There are times when you feel like your faith is weak. There are times when you feel like, I don't have any faith. There are times when you feel like, I don't know if I've got the strength to go on. But if you'll look back and say, experience teaches me that when I call on the Lord, he heard my cry and delivered me from all my fears. And as you go through this process of growth, you experience you experience God's victory. You experience God's hand on your life. You experience the strength of the Lord that comes at just the right time because God is never early. He's never late. He's always on time. And we sang it earlier, and if we don't believe what we were singing with the words up here on the screen, our God has never failed me yet. If you don't believe it, you shouldn't sing it. But experience, how do we... How did the songwriter write that song under inspiration of the Holy Spirit? 
because he had experienced a God who had never failed him. And our God never fails. And experience teaches that. And you can do like David. And you can say, I remember when I needed God here. And I cried out to the Lord. And he came through. And I remember another time. I remember when we laid our hand on the fever brow of a baby and God healed that baby. I remember when Mary Ruth was, was first born, she almost didn't make it. You've heard that story before. She was blue. She almost didn't make it. Uh, Loretta didn't think that, that she was going to live, and I, I wasn't there. Back in those days, they didn't let fathers be there. We had to be in the waiting room downstairs, you know, gnawing on our fingernails and wondering. We didn't know if we were having boys or girls in those days, you know. But for six months, she had what they call six-month colic. She had asthma. We were race, racing back to the hospital because she was turning blue. She had six-month colic. And we had her brother was about three and a half years old. And we used to walk, we used to walk up, we, we lived in a mobile home. We called them trailers in those days, about 12 feet wide, 60 feet long. That was a Taj Mahal for us, man. And, uh, and so we, we, she, she never stopped crying. She was in pain, terrible pain in her abdomen. And so Loretta would walk the floor and hold Mary close, you know. I'd get on my knees in the living room, and I'd pray. And after a while, she'd get tired, and she'd bring me the baby. So I'd take Mary, and I'd, I'd walk the narrow little hallway of our trailer and walk around, and Loretta would get on her knees and pray. One morning, about, about 2 o'clock in the morning, we'd been going for hours, and we were exhausted, you know. And about that time, you get thinking, God, are you hearing us? Do you see us? Have you abandoned us? And our son, about three and a half years old, he'd already learned to praise God. He'd learned to pray, been in church. I mean, that's why, like Loretta said, so important we teach the new generation. He climbed out of his crib, walked down the hallway, and his mother was holding Mary in a rocking chair, and she was trying to rock her, and she was just crying her heart out. And little Steve walked over, put his hand on his sister's back, and he said, Lord Jesus, heal my baby sister. And at three and a half years old, turn around, walk back down to his bedroom, climb back up in his crib again, and you know, within seconds, Mary stopped crying and went to sleep. Now here's dad called in the ministry. Here's mom grew up in the church. And here's the three-year-old that says, I think I got it right here. It's Jesus. It's going to be okay, dad. You know, looking up at mom, it's going to be okay, mom. It's all right. She's going to sleep. Wow. We can remember all those times and another thing that I think that David was doing, I think he was reminding the devil. Devil, you ain't seen nothing yet. God was there when I needed him, and he was there when I needed him, and he's here today. And devil, you ain't seen nothing yet. I think sometimes we just need to show the devil, let the devil know whose side we're on. Sometimes we feel so whipped. Oh, my God, I don't know. And the devil has been chasing me all day. Well, won't you turn around and chase him a little while? Chase him with the word of God. Get out the sword of the word and goad him a little bit. Huh? Come on. Like Karen Meyer said, get over it. Grow up. Amen. One last point. This is probably the most powerful of all. In Acts 2.42, I've only got about a minute left, Bill, so I may have to pray for grace here. In Acts 2.42, it says that on the day of Pentecost, in the days following, and uh, you can read it. So it's, it's a wonderful formula of growth. It's about a process of growing. But in Acts uh, 2.42, it says they continued in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. There's four things mentioned there. And prayer. Fellowship, you know, never forsaking the, uh, the assembling of ourselves together. We need that. We need that. We need you know what? I, I grew up going to church. It's a habit. When Sunday morning comes, I, it's, it's a habit. I got to be in church somewhere. I grew up that way. But I also know you can get out of that habit. 
at, there, there's stuff today going on right behind the church here. There's a, some kind of a Latino festival, and there's a ball game going on, and traffic was horrible around here. There's festivals going on and street fe- There's a lot of stuff going on that you could do on Sunday without coming here. But there's, you know, you can get out of the habit of being in the house of God, and it's harder to get back into it again. You know what I mean? Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, all these things. And then he talked about prayers. Now, this is where, one where I struggled. When we were first married, I was really struggling with surrendering my life to God, really surrendering, because I had, I had plans, and I just I knew that God wanted to interrupt my plans. And I just didn't, I wasn't going to have that. I was a stubborn Missourian. I, I was going to be a music teacher. I wanted to be a college music professor. And, um, and I had the scholarships, and I had, the, I had open doors. But, you know, that's not really what God wanted. And I was struggling. So we got married. We decided, you know, we need to start our married life in prayer. I'd never prayed out loud ever in my life, even though I grew up in church. I was very shy about prayer. You listen to this, guys? So we kneel down beside the bed so my wife would do the praying out loud. And it took me a while just to even get to where I could pray out loud in the presence of another human being. And then, you know, that prayer wasn't, didn't last very long. But 10 years later in our ministry, we're praying an hour a day together, praying through the Lord's Prayer. And then what I've learned about prayer was what Paul said when he said pray without ceasing is that prayer just kind of becomes an attitude of your life 24 hours a day. I remember being on, on crowded bus in, in uh, Rome, Italy, and I'm just there, and I'm just like thanking the Lord for his presence, and all of a sudden I just start speaking in tongues. People around me are looking, you know, they're Italian, and they're turning around looking at me like, I wonder where he's from, <laughs> <laughs> it's the heavenly language. You know, and not, not loud and obnoxious. I'm not talking about that. I mean, just, you know, just living in an attitude of prayer. You can't survive without prayer. The, the two most important functions of a believer are growing in the knowledge of God through the Word of God and learning the power of prayer in your personal life. And here's the way I believe it goes. Where there's little prayer, there's little power. Where there's much prayer, there's much power. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to set a stopwatch to make sure that you pray an hour or you pray two hours. If I pray three hours, oh boy, I'll be able to call down rain from heaven. No, but it's just, you know how we are in America? It's like somebody said this years ago, and I believe it's true. You know, the microwave generation, we want million-dollar answers to 10-cent prayers. And sometimes you got to pray a little longer. I remember hearing a preacher telling me one time about going to the altar. And he said, he said, uh, he said I went to the altar, and I prayed, got up, walked away. And he said, what I realized later when my prayer was not being answered, God spoke to my heart and said, I saw you come to the altar, but you didn't tarry, you didn't wait for me, and about the time I came back with your answer, you'd already got up and left. So learning how to pray, learning how to develop a prayer life. Now, I can't do that in the next couple of minutes because I've got to close. I can't tell you in two minutes how to develop that prayer life. But you remember Ephesians 6 where Paul said, look, we're doing spiritual warfare here, so you're going to need the helmet of salvation. You're going to need uh, the breastplate of righteousness. You're going to need a belt of truth. You're going to need to have your feet shod with the gospel of peace. You're going to need that shield of faith, and you're going to need the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. But if you'll look at that passage in Ephesians chapter 6, after he says, put on, all the spiritual armor. And remember, what we're fighting against is not flesh and blood. It's spiritual powers and it's authorities of evil in the world. That's what we're fighting against. And after he says, and after you put all of that, what did he say? And do what? Stand. First thing he says, stand. And then after that, 
Paul says this. Maybe I should read it in Ephesians 6. He says, then after you've done all of that, I got it right here. Don't worry about it. We're still going to make it to the restaurant in time. We might beat the Baptists if we hurry. And he says, and then he says, after you put on all that spiritual armor and you've, you're ready to stand, he says this. He said, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Hallelujah. I love to pray in the Spirit. It reminds me that the Holy Spirit is with me. It reminds me the fire of God's still there when the Spirit of God comes and prays through me. And then he says, and pray with all kinds of prayers, pray with all kinds of requests, and with this in mind, be alert and keep on praying. Hallelujah. Keep on praying. Don't stop praying. When do you, when do you stop? Never. When I get the answer, no, because you're going to need another answer. You're going to need more of the presence of God. You're going to need more of the Spirit of God. You're going to face more. Keep on praying, he said. Now, he's put on all the spiritual armor. Stand up like a soldier. But here's what I want. I want you to pray in the Spirit. I want you to pray on all kinds of prayers and requests. Pray on every occasion, he says. Always keep on praying. And then the last thing he says, and pray for me, will you? Pray for me, Paul, the missionary. Wow, pray. Wow. Praying without ceasing because there is power in prayer. We grow in faith. We grow in experience. We grow through the word of God. We grow through the power of prayer. Let's pray. Lord, help us to grow up leaving behind the elemental things, those things from the beginning. And, Lord, when it comes time to take our responsibility in the body of Christ, we're ready. We're ready. We're ready for every trial. We're ready for every test. We're ready for every challenge because we've matured, we've grown, we've come into that place, oh, God, where we can face the enemy with power and lead others. We can help these babies, Lord. We can reach out and bring others who are coming along who are new in the faith. The Lord, help us to grow. Lord, and press toward the mark, the high calling and the prize of God, toward that perfection in Jesus. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen. Amen.